Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you've made so many provisions for our life. And so we pray that as we open up your word and as we, and as we read what's been true for thousands of years, uh, we just pray that you would teach us anew what it means to be your children and that you are our God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I, I don't know about you, and we're going to get to I am the bread. We're going to try something different this morning. I don't know about you, but I am just getting really, really sick and tired of hearing about all of these deaths that are going on. And, it's, and I don't know if it's because information is so readily available to us that it's everywhere. And I don't know if it's just because it sells news. And so there's, if you ever look at the news, what, what's all the news about? All the horrible bad stuff that's going on, right? Very rarely do we see anything good that's going on. Right, we, we, we always, like news agencies are always portraying the controversies or what this presidential candidate said or what the other one said, right? Or, or not only that, but then just a week ago in Orlando, just this mass shooting. And, you know, one of the things that, and, and it kind of affected me in a way where it was like, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, because I get up here every single Saturday morning and I preach or try to preach a sermon of hope. You know, we preach a sermon of grace, of hope of an age that is to come. I get up here and I preach about how the kingdom of God is present wherever Jesus is Lord. And so we try to say like, yes, we wait for heaven and for eternity, but we don't have to wait for them to be able to experience the goodness and the love and the blessings of God. And all of that's true. But it's just so hard when you hear about all of these things that are happening. And, and that's just here in the United States. I have a feeling that if we got news about what was really happening all around the world, we would, be, we would begin to see that there is so much more death and decay and disaster. And I know some of you are like, Pastor, why are you bringing us down? Sabbath is supposed to be a day of happiness and of joy. But because I've really thought about this and prayed about this and struggled with this question, well, what do we do? The elders this morning in our meeting that we, we gather every Saturday morning before church to, to pray over the church and to pray over special requests. And, and one of the things that we talked about this morning, which I think is true for us today, is that regardless of all of the things that are going on around us in the world, right? We, the, the one thing that we can control and the one thing that we can do is to remain faithful to the, go, the call that God has placed on each one of us. Now, that's not a cop-out to say, well, that, well, can't we go and do other things? Of course, there's other things we can do, but it must come from a place of being faithful to what God is calling us to do. And whatever that is and wherever God leads us from there, then we must go from that place. But all we can do is to keep our eyes on God. And um, this morning, I'm preaching from this old Bible that I have. And uh, when I was in seminary, this was my Bible and um, it's, it's a new international version, which I never use. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. I just never use it anymore. I use a different translation. But one of the things that I did is there was a couple of people that were really, that were mentors to me. And so they kind of signed the inside of my Bible. I don't know. Maybe that's what pastors do, right? <laughs> I don't know. But I did. And, um, and I remember it was Dwight Nelson, one of, my pro one of my preaching professors, who he wrote it on the last day of our class when I was in seminary. And he starts with saying, keep close to the master, he has called you. And what's important about that message, it's a reminder that God is calling you to be a certain way in this world. 
and regardless of what other people are doing. We're not called to judge other people. We're not called to point our fingers at other people and say, well, they're bad because X, Y, and Z. Because remember, when we point at someone, someone else could just as easily be pointing to you. You know, sometimes I have a sense of, of maybe wanting to judge other people. And you know, when we judge other people, we're, it's so easy for us to see like where they're failing. But the Bible and Jesus tells us that before you point out the speck in someone else's eye, right, like a little piece of sawdust, you have to look at the big log that's in your eyes, right? Like a log, like a wooden log, right? Saying that before we can do that, we have to look at where we are failing as well. Because reality is, is that every single one of us is a sinner. Every one of us, the Bible tells us, has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has areas that we can improve in. Every single one of us has sinned on a day, does sin on a daily basis. Every single one of us is in the same boat. Now, your sin may be different than someone else's sin. And my sin may be different than your sin. But what the Bible is clear is that if you've, if you've sinned once, it's as though you have broken all of the law. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, we usually tend to think that when Jesus is saying that, that it's actually the Ten Commandments, but they were referring to every single law that was in the first five books of the Bible. So what they're saying is if you've sinned just one sin, even one small little white lie, as they say, or one little tiny sin, it's as though you've broken the entire law. And the reason for that is because if you sin even once, you lose out. Um, the idea was that if you sinned even once, you fall short of the glory of God. But the good news, Romans tells us, is that, yes, we've all fallen short. We're all sinners. But Jesus makes it right by make it, making forgiveness possible for every single one of us. And what's important about that is that Jesus offers freely the gift of forgiveness, of reconciliation, and of salvation. Now, for those of you, let's just keep the Father's Day theme going this morning. Uh, how many fathers, don't raise your hand because I know what the answer is have done something, and then you had to ask someone for forgiveness. How many of, for how many of us? It's not just fathers. It's for all of us. Now, fathers and husbands, how many times have you done something? And it's been, maybe you didn't think it was that bad. Maybe you're just like, come on, wife. Just, can we just move on from this? Can you get over this? Come on. It was just miscommunication, right? For how many of you have you had to wait days to get that, that forgiveness? And for how many of you, how painful is that, right? And it's like, and, and, and here's the thing, like, you begin to convince yourself, like, whoa, what I did is way worse because she's still mad at me, or, you know, the other way around, right? Like, they're still angry. We're still not talking. We're still not vibing. Like, what? And so you kind of convince yourself that it's worse, so you're more and more apologetic. And the thing is, it's not just the words, okay, I forgive you. But what we're really seeking is to reconcile and repair that brokenness that happened because of the things that we did. And when we sin, we break that connection to God, but Jesus mends that break. He fixes the gap. He, what does he say? He is a repairer of the breach. And as a result, you have the assurance of salvation. All of that to say, how must we then live in the wake of things like Orlando, but not just Orlando, it's everywhere. What do we do? It seems like, you know, the expression is, uh, we're, what is it, um, that we're going to hell in a hell, hell what is that? In a hand, 
<laughs> Jeez, preacher, like get it good, get it right before you get up there. But the truth is, is that it does feel like that. And we just want to do something and we want to escape and go to a better place. But this is where you and I are called to be. So I want to just look at a passage and, okay, we're probably not going to get to the bread today. Can I just spoil that alert? <laughs> and let's just go to how are Christians supposed to live. And um, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, yeah, it's a passage we know well. I just want to go over that for a second because then we're going to get to a next text. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it is, we don't have it on PowerPoint today. But we, it is in the Bibles in front of you. The Red Bibles is a New International Version, which is what I'm reading from. So you can follow along. So a lot of times when we read this passage, and I'm guilty of this, I use this in weddings all the time. Mostly because it just fits really well, right? Love is patient, love is kind, and all of that. But the context and the reason and how this shows up in the Bible is more important than the words that are there. So Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that was divided. They were arguing over who had more authority than the other person. There was some theological controversies. I mean, so basically it was just regular church life, right? Always controversies in church life. And Paul is saying, look, no gift is better than another gift. Every single one of you is being called by God to be his witness in this world. And so Paul is basically saying, look, there is no one better than another person. You guys are all a part of the body of Christ, and God needs you to be a part of this body and get along because it's not about you. It's about the people that we are about to reach. And so Paul gets to the end of this discourse about, well, not the end, but in the middle of this discourse of whose gift, the spiritual gift, is better than the other. And then he has this pause in the middle of this. And it's almost like a tangent. It's almost like, you know, let me just pause and get this straight. And so chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians um, says this. The verse right before it says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Here's the thing. If your motivation for how you treat other people isn't compelled by the love that God has given you, and as a result, you want to give to other people, you are just a noisy gong. You are just annoying. You see, if you are not living from a place of love, and I know, right, some people are like, I, I used to be told, like, why do you talk about, not, not this church, <laughs> but I was once told, why do you talk about love so much? Get to the meat and potatoes of the scripture. And I would tell them, like, that is the meat and beef of the potato, of the mess, of the, the meat and potatoes of the message. And the reason isn't because it's just, oh, it's so easy to talk about love, but it's because love is so difficult to do. I mean, it's easy to love the people that we kind of like, but even the people that you love, sometimes you don't like them very much because they did or said something that just really hurt you or made you angry. And what, and what Paul is saying, he says, look, even if you can speak in the tongues of angels, whatever that is, right, even if you are like an angel, but if you don't do it out of love, if you're just pointing out to other people what they're doing is wrong, but you're not doing it from a place of love, and, and they'll tell you if it doesn't sound very loving, then you are just being annoying, a noisy, resounding gong and cymbal. You're loud, you're obnoxious. He says, verse 2, and if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Basically, he's saying, if you, can, if you know all the knowledge and wisdom all about God, 
And if you have a faith that can move mountains, all right, so he's quoting Jesus now, but have not love, I am nothing. It doesn't matter how well you can perform. It doesn't matter how well you can sing. It doesn't matter how well you can quote scriptures or how well you can preach or how well you can, um, I don't know, write little readings that we have or greet at the front of the church. It doesn't matter how well you cook. If you're not doing it out of love, out of thanksgiving for the love that God has given you, then you are nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I am nothing. You know, and, and in this church, we actually try to feed the homeless. Well, we do feed the homeless once a month. And it's saying, like, if you're doing that, but you're not doing it out of a place of love and of generosity, you're nothing. Don't do it. See, the Bible writers, were, they weren't so concerned about what you did they were more concerned about the motivation for why you are doing what you are doing. Because the reality is, is that if you truly understand the love that God has for you, and, and I can start with myself, I, it is, I'm a very like hard guy to love, I think. And, you know, I, I'm very particular about how I like things. I kind of have a routine and a system. And so I can imagine how much of a headache I am uh, to, to love, right? <laughs> but my parents still love me. But, but Jesus is saying, but see, but I'm thankful for the love that God has for me. I am thankful that God loves me as particular and as annoying as I know that I can be because we know that that's the kind of love that endures for all eternity. And God's love isn't just a sentiment towards you. It's a very real force in this world that is shaping and fixing and transforming you. And God hopes that it will rub off on you so that you will love others. And so I'll just go through these next couple passages, uh, next verses pretty quickly. He says, love is patient, love is kind, and it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. So when it says that love is patient, the word that is used is long-suffering. And what that means is that it's sacrificial, right? It's hard for us to be patient, especially with the people that we love. But the Bible tells us that love is long-suffering, and you don't seek to retaliate. If someone hurts you, love doesn't retaliate. It just absorbs it. Verse 5, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking, so it's not selfish. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. He goes on to say that everything else in this world will pass away. But the only thing that will remain for all eternity is the love that God has for you and the love that God wants you to love other people. And I was really proud of the Seventh-day Adventist churches in the city of Orlando who, and I think you probably, if you have a Facebook account, you probably saw this. But um, they, they opened up, I think several Adventist churches in Orlando opened up their churches to provide free funeral services to the families of those who lost someone. Was it last Saturday night? Was it Saturday night or Friday night? I can't remember. Yeah. You know, that's an, a tangible way that the church was being the hands and body of Christ. Do they agree with the lifestyle? Probably not. But it didn't matter because in the wake of loss and of suffering, all we can do is share our condolences and be present. 
So I know that a couple of you who are my friends on Facebook, um, I, do what, I do a daily kind of reflection on where I've sensed the Spirit of God or where I sense the presence of God. And I call them everyday cathedrals, but I didn't do one this week, as some of you might have known. Because for me, it was just one of those things where it was just like, just be silent for a second. You know, when somebody dies, what do you say to them? What is the right thing to say to them? You're going to get over it. You'll get there. Uh, oh, you're just in the denial stage of, of, of grief. No, I, I lead a grief group, and the one thing you can say to them that is the right thing is nothing. Just say nothing and be present. And part of, and part of what I saw, which was really frustrating on Facebook, is everybody was just writing these eloquent things about the loss and how, you know, all this stuff, but it was just making themselves look better. Christians, it's not just about making ourselves look better. It's about in humility doing what others need and loving them in such a way that they can see Christ through you. And so let's, um, that's kind of a social commentary. I didn't mean to take a negative there, but <laughs> it was on my heart. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4. We're not getting to I am the bread today, if that's all right with you. Unless you want to stay here till like 1230. I can do that. There's, you know, the Guinness, the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest sermon, I think, was it 24 hours or, or something like that, or 48 hours? We should try that one time. Now, it was done by, it was done by Big Gen Dave. Dave's like, no. He's like, we're barely getting through this one, Pastor. Just wrap it up. Land the plane. No, <laughs> Land the plane. Um... <laughs> The, it was, but it's, what's interesting about that is that they will do like literally 24 hours or 48 hours. I forget this, the, the new record. And a pastor will just, I think, go through like the entire Bible and just preach and preach and preach. And I think they're allowed time to sleep or nap. And they have like a team of people to make sure they're eating. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty cool. I just heard that word the other day, gnarly, for the first time in like 10 years. John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from within. No, it comes from who? The only way that you can love is because it comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you love, you know God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. And okay, this, is, this is like the example, right? This is the, the template for what love looks like. Verse 9. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's a word we don't use, atoning or atonement. If you break it up, you know, kind of in the English way, it's at one mint with God. God loves us so much that even though we sin and we break that, or we have broken that, um, the connection between God and ourselves, Jesus is the one who keeps us connected. He is the wire. He is the lifeline. He is the connection that we have to God. Verse 12, listen to this, right? We talk about how do we see God, and this is really a powerful passage because it says, no one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So part of how we get to experience and to see God is in the context of how well you love other people. 
You get a glimpse of God in your marriages, in your relationships, with your children, with your friends, with your significant others. You get a glimpse of God. God gives you this gift of love because when you experience it and when you have been forgiven and reconciled to someone that you have hurt, that feeling of relief, that feeling of thank you for forgiving me, that is what God does for us. Verse 13, we know that we live in God and God in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And listen to this. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. You can rely on your job, you can rely on your relationships, you can rely on your intelligence, on your degrees, on your position in this world, but that's all going to fail you at some point. But the Bible is clear that if we rely on God, we will always be on solid ground. God is love. Whoever lives in, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in the world we are like him. And listen to this, right? When we think about judgment, we think about the end of the world, and we think, am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? Here's, this is a passage to set assuage your guilt. Verse 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The, ones who, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, if you live connected to God and in the love of God, there is no need for fear about where you will end up for all eternity. There is no need to fear of whether you get in or whether you're going to be out. Because if you are continually seeking the love of God and if you're in the presence of God, you already know that you've already been given the assurance and the seal of salvation. That's kind of the promise. That's, that's why Christianity is very counter-cultural. And what I mean by that is we don't live the way the world lives. And I'm not just talking about because, you know, growing up we were told you're not supposed to party and go to, you know, to this place or to that place because those things are worldly. That's not what counter-cultural means. It means that we don't earn, our, we don't earn God's love based on how good we are because you'll never be good enough. Right? When you go to school, the more you study, theoretically, the better you'll do in school, right? Some of us can study and still get like a C in our test, which is good, you know, it's passing. <laughs> theoretically, the harder you work at work, the sooner you'll be promoted, the sooner you'll get a bonus, or the sooner you'll get a raise. Theoretically, the better you are towards your wife, the more she's going to like you, theoretically. <laughs> Right? So everything in this world is based on a works. If I do this, then I will get the reward. But when it comes to Christianity and its counterculturalness, right? It's so backwards, it seems, that there is nothing you can do to earn the love of God. In fact, we spend most of our lives doing all of the things that would force someone else to stop loving us. Right? We call that sin. But yet the Bible is clear that Jesus, even though you sin and even though you have destructive habits and even though you do things that are not done out of love, Jesus still makes you at one with God. 
But it's not just so that you can cruise the rest of your life and be like, well, I'm in, I'm in heaven, I don't have to do anything else. No, God gives you that assurance so you no longer have to try to earn your salvation, but so that then you can live out of love and serve everyone that is around you. That's the purpose. That's the work of God. The Bible says it's to believe in God, and belief in God leads you to live and act a certain way. The hope is that the closer you get to God, or or the, the closer your relationship with God is, the more God is going to be changing and transforming you. And the life of sin that we live will slowly and slowly fade away. I don't think we'll ever be perfect. Obviously, we'll never be perfect in this world. But God takes care of the sin problem. God doesn't just forgive you, but it's God's work. The Bible tells us that he is recreating you. He is reshaping you. He is taking away some of the sins in your life. And some of you know that you've had an addiction. And from one day to the next, God can break an addiction in your life. Things that we try to do on our own, you may never be able to get over. But if God is at work in your life, he is doing the work of recreating you, not just so you can feel better about yourself. That's self-seeking. Love, that's, remember we say love is not self-seeking? But the reason that God is transforming you is because he wants, to be, he wants you to partner with him to be a witness in this world of darkness of who God is. And that's what it tells us, to deliver the love. And the template is, right? that God loved us so much that he gave his son. So a part of being loving is lifting up Christ everywhere we go and being a witness to the love, the sacrificial love of God for us and towards us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we don't deserve your love and your grace and your mercy, but we also know that it's because it has been unmerited that your grace exists. Our prayer is that we would keep our eyes on you. That even though it's easier to look at all of the darkness and the evil that happens in the world, we pray that beyond that we would keep our eyes set on you so that we could be your ambassadors of peace and of love and of salvation in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.